Hi there, and welcome to the Violin Geek Podcast. I'm Laurel Thompson, and today I'm going to start us off on a little journey into some Canadian fiddling, which I've had the great pleasure to get to know just a bit more in the last few years since I've been, been touring up that way. I'm not quite sure how many parts this series will ultimately have, but we'll, uh, we'll at least start today with part one and the awesome Canadian fiddler Calvin Valrath, who's not only a fiddler, but also a fabulous composer and someone who's had his work featured in TV shows as well as on the Olympics, which I think is not even a once in a lifetime opportunity. It's just that cool. It's very rare. Um, so he's going to talk a little bit about those stories and um, and some other things that I hope will inspire People, whether you know you're listening out there and you're a fiddler or you're a classical violinist or a teacher or however you you come to music and play music, I think there's there's going to be something for everyone. And if you're listening on a computer or an iPad or, or somewhere where you want to browse around on the net and check out his site while you listen, that site is calvinvolrath.com, C-A-L-V-I-N-V-O-L-L-R-A-T-H. And he has quite a lot of, of great information on there, as well as some educational resources. And um, you could probably spend quite a few hours on there actually looking around and seeing everything that he's done and everything that he has to share. So I hope you will check that out at some point, at least, uh, if not during the show here. And uh, for now, I think we're just going to jump into the interview, which I, again, I hope you'll enjoy. And uh, I think Calvin's open for people to contact him and uh, get in touch if they're inspired or have a question or something. So feel free to go to his website and get in touch with him and uh, hopefully, you know, purchase a CD or some sheet music or hopefully even attend his Camp Calvin. For now, I think we're just going to launch ourselves into the recent interview. I hope you enjoy. Hello, Calvin Volrath, and welcome to the Violin Geek Podcast. How are you doing today? How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm great. Up in northern Alberta. Awesome. We get frost in the morning here already. Oh, my goodness. And tell me how far north you are. You're pretty far north, right? Well, from uh, if, it, if you can uh, relate to where Edmonton, Alberta is, I'm about two hours northeast of Edmonton, or four hours south of Fort McMurray, where all our oil activity goes on up here in Alberta. Yeah, so you're pretty close to the BC border, right? No, I'm not. I'm probably, I'm more on the east side of Alberta. So I'm probably an hour to the Saskatchewan border and uh, maybe five hours to the BC border. Got it. Got it. Now I'm, now I'm picturing it all. I I was on the, um, the Yellowhead twice, well, actually four times this year. Um, So I probably passed, I guess, maybe a little south of you there, it sounds like. That's right. You, I, I, it seems to me I heard that you were playing in Vegreville. Yes, I played in Vegreville, and um, we did some shows. Um, gosh, I think the most northern Alberta show there was, um, I'm forgetting the names, Mackenzie. Is that, does that sound right? No, maybe that was in BC. I don't know. It's all a jumble at this point. But we got fairly far north there, so... Um, are you as is the the landscape as flat as it is over on that west side there where you are? Yeah, it, we're we're prairies. We're in uh, we're in farm country here, and uh, there's oil around here as well. But it's not mountainous at all. It's uh, agricultural, so it's 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 pretty flat. We got the North Saskatchewan River that runs uh, up here, and um, maybe uh, it might be twenty miles from us or something. 
Okay. And how cold does it get in the winter? Well, uh, it can get quite cold. Um, uh, we'll probably see minus 40 once or twice, and minus 40 Celsius is minus 40 Fahrenheit. So it's exactly the same. I know. Isn't that interesting? They just kind of combine at that point. And then I guess any colder, and it doesn't really matter what sort of thing you're measuring. No. It's just really cold. <laughs> And, and the thing is, we we can live with minus forty. If the wind isn't blowing, we can get outside and shovel the walk and uh, even work up a sweat. But once the wind starts to blow, yeah, then it, it's really cold. Yeah, <laughs> don't like that. I guess the coldest I experienced was minus fifty two in um, where was that in Swift Current, Saskatchewan? There, and I don't know if that was with the wind chill or not, but it was it was definitely it was bitter. So. Yeah, I've had a little cool. taste of that in recent years, and it's, um, yeah, you definitely get become hardy in that kind of temperature. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, we're kind of accustomed to it, and then it's kind of nice. We like to get away down south for a week or two, go down to Arizona or Palm Springs or something, get, get a little break from it. Got to thaw out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I kind of wanted to jump right on in here, and I was reading your bio on your site, calvinvolrath.com, and um, I thought, wow, you got to compose for the 2010 Winter Olympics, and how did that opportunity come about? That's sort of a, I think, kind of a rare opportunity in my book anyway. Yeah, well, I was uh, I was thrilled and honored that I got asked. The way it came about, in 2008, I was hired to play um, in a in a show in Calgary during the Junos. The Junos are uh, to Canada what the the Grammys are in in the United States. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I was hired to go play this uh, this show for the Junos. Um, uh, along with other individuals, and they wanted me to play uh, a Métis tune, a Métis-style tune. And I had composed a tune shortly before that called The Reel of the Métis. Mm-hmm. I sent the MP3 to the musical director, who I didn't know. His name was David Pierce, and uh, got down there to do the show, and that would have been in April, uh, I think, 2008. And um, anyways, I did the show. Uh, the musical director, he was the drummer in the band. Mm-hmm. So we did the show. And after the show was all over, uh, he came up to me in the green room and said, Calvin, is it ever nice to work with you again? <laughs> and I went, oh, I didn't even remember him. And I said, well, where have we worked together? Well, he said, I, w- I-, I used to be a part of a group called uh, the Calgary Fiddlers. And the Calgary Fiddlers are a, a, a bunch of fiddlers in, in, in Calgary, Alberta, under the age, I think it, they were all under the age of 16 years old. And uh, Dave was the drummer in that band. Well, back in 1993, I went and did a concert in Calgary, and uh, the Calgary Fiddlers had recorded a medley of my tunes, um, and they published in a book, and mm-hmm. uh the names of the tunes were Flying the Pudding and um, maybe the Carrot River Stomp, and I don't even remember. There was four tunes. Okay. Anyways, he was, he was the drummer in the band, and he was just a, I think he said he was 13 years old. And So when I did my concert there in 1993, the Calgary Fiddlers came out to my show and performed this medley of tunes with me. <laughs> so he told wow. me, 
He told me at the Junos, he said, that was one of my highlights when I was growing up to get on stage and uh, and, and play that medley of tunes with you. And um, uh, so, so nice to see you here at this show and wonderful to play with you. And he said, I have a big gig coming up in a couple of years that I'm going to call you. Uh, I'm going to need some help. But yeah. he didn't tell me what it was until about... A year later, he he called me up and uh, told me that he was uh, the musical director for the the opening ceremonies of the Olympics. Oh my goodness! Wow. And uh, and he said uh, they're going to feature the the Canadian fiddle in the opening ceremonies. And uh, he knew of me for many years, and that I wrote music, and he knew that fiddle players were playing my tunes all over the place, which I'm always honored by that. Mm -hmm. And um, so uh, it all was hush-hush. I couldn't say nothing to anybody. I I told my wife, don't tell (laughs) them. I told her. And... um, uh, and even at that point in time, he didn't even tell me that I was to be writing tunes. It, the, the first thing he asked for was, uh, I'm looking for some fiddle players that are looking expo- looking for some exposure mm-hmm. uh, because we're going to feature the Canadian fiddle. And so I thought, oh, he wants me to help him out trying to find some fiddlers. So I gave him some names of some fiddlers in the country that play various styles. And and then I think in August 2009, um, uh, he said, how soon can you get to Vancouver? I need you in Vancouver. Now, this was in uh, June he sent this to me. Mm-hmm. And I, I said, geez, I'm busy all summer till August 11th, and uh, I can't get there till then. And so he said, okay, we'll get you a plane ticket, you and your wife a plane ticket. And, and I said, what do you need me for? I can't tell you. <laughs> so it was all secretive. And we landed in Vancouver, and somebody picked us up and took us to a hotel, and then somebody come and picked me up at a hotel, and we went to a recording studio. And when I got there, that when it was uh, we want you to compose music for for this and we need five tunes in various Canadian styles and they have the styles picked out uh-huh. and then I said how soon do you need these tunes and he said today oh my goodness wow and really so uh, <laughs> I pulled out my fiddle and and uh, he plays piano as well <clears throat> and uh, well he kind of said, I want the first tune to be French-Canadian, uh, in a French-Canadian style, and he said, I'd like it to be in the key of F, and we just started to play, mm-hmm. started to play something. He had a set of changes already in mind that he wanted me to compose a tune to, and uh, so it was just magic. We we wrote that tune, and then he said, uh, uh, now we need an East Coast-style tune. And so I said, well, let's go to the key of D. And, and uh, anyways, in three hours, we had five tunes written. Wow. That is and, so impressive. And what a cool story. It, yeah, it really was a, um, a magical moment. And at the end of the medley, at the, at this was, we were putting these in a medley, and it was very, very fast. You know, the Olympics, it's all high energy. And sure, yeah. We were playing at 146 beats per minute or something. Wow, great. that's really uh, fast. <laughs> And then he wanted, uh, at the end of these tunes that I composed, 
for the medley to end with Maple Sugar, which is um, the most well-known Canadian fiddle tune of all time, written by Ward Allen. If, if you're a fiddle player in Canada, you have to play Maple Sugar. And uh, so we, we ended uh, the five-song medley with that. So in the medley, we had French-Canadian. Mm-hmm. We had uh, the, the West Coast was the second tune. Mm-hmm. And then uh, a Métis tune, uh, a Métis-style tune was the third tune. And then the fourth tune, I believe, was um, the East Coast. And the fifth tune was about the prairies. Okay. And you've mentioned Métis a couple times now. And I know that down here in the States and probably in other places, that may be a completely new word for people. So can you just tell us a little bit what that, what that means, what that style's like? Okay. Métis is a French word which means uh, mixed blood. So when the immigrants came over from Europe to Canada many, many, many years ago, um, and uh, and they landed in Canada and, and in the United States and, uh, and hooked up with uh, the Aboriginal people that were here mm-hmm. and had children, well, those children were mixed blood. Okay. And the French word for that is Métis. So it's really one of the oldest forms of fiddling in the country. Uh, that's uh, true to Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, so their style of music is uh, its different. It's crooked. When I say crooked, in lots of the tunes, you can't count to four. You know, in mm-hmm. most tunes, we can count to four or two, depending on how you count your, your, your beats and your bars. Uh, Métis, we call it crooked. There might be five bars, there might be seven bars, there might be 12 bars, where standard music would have eight bars or 16 bars. Right. So, and then within the bars, is it typically always the same number of beats, or do the beats change as well within oh, yeah. the measures? They, it changes as well. In, okay. in the bar, it could be uh, it could be like one, two, one, two, one, two, one, one, two, three, okay. one. So it's uh, it's and and now people are are trying to notate this and um, uh, I, I I did a Métis style fiddle uh, album oh I think ten years ago and I had it all notated and it looks so strange because the first bar says two four and then the second bar <laughs> might say nine eight right. and then the bar might say three four oh, and then there will be more bars of two four and it's. <laughs> it's all like, and it's really tough to learn because, well, you kind of wonder where does it where where does the one where does the verse actually start? But once you learn it, it's always the same, and uh, it's really driving music. It's uh, it's 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 built for people to dance to. It's got this wonderful feel, and um, and people are now starting to play it all across the country. I've been teaching it at uh, fiddle camps for many many years. I've been fortunate uh, enough to have learned many of the old Métis tunes from the old Métis elders that are that have passed on now. Mm-hmm. And wow, that's awesome! Lots of the tunes are are common tunes that are played by you know Arkansas traveler, uh, but the way the Métis play them, uh, you know, they're just a little bit different. Interesting. Um, uh, Big John McNeil, uh, Saint Anne's Real. Huh. Uh, Standard tunes that kind of got different twists in them. And then there's other tunes that nobody's heard before, but I'm sure they've come from something. Uh, you know, the, the immigrants brought these tunes over from Ireland and Scotland and wherever, and through years, through erosion and osmosis, uh, things got changed. 
And is there a certain part of Canada that, is it like the prairies or where, where would it be that, that you would say the Métis style sort of originated from? I would think maybe uh, in in the Manitoba area and yeah. uh, around Winnipeg, Saint Boniface, yeah. the where Red River. Yeah. Uh, they call it the Red River style. The most famous Métis tune of all is called the Red River Jig, and the story goes uh, when the voyageurs were traveling west to explore Western Canada. Uh, many, many, many years ago, uh, they brought fiddles with them, and uh, the native peoples, when uh, when uh, the voyageur, the French people, would uh, come west and set up camp, they would play their fiddles, and across the Red River, on the other side of the river, was the Aboriginal people, and they, they heard this music, and... Uh, they were dancing, and it all became part of their culture. And so it's really big in the Manitoba area, um, and also in Saskatchewan and Alberta, um, BC as well. But it's it, it's mostly the prairies. Mostly the prairies. And I know in Montana, there's a number of Métis fiddle players down there. North Dakota, there's mm-hmm. Métis fiddle players in North Dakota as well. And would the the Métis style in the U.S. is it is it pretty much the same? Like that border doesn't really mean anything as far as the style goes, or are, have you found any differences with the Métis down in the U.S.? No, it, it's it, it's pretty much the same. Pretty much the same. Uh, also, um, I've got to know some Appalachian fiddle players from you know down the Appalachian Mountains, and the tunes that they play. We've we've taught at some fiddle camps before uh, with Bruce Maltzky and. Mm-hmm. And Brad Leftwich and people like that. And, and when I play some of these old Métis fiddle tunes, they go, hey, we have a tune that goes very similar to that. And, and they play it in their Appalachian style. Huh. And, uh, and and it's crooked. And so we can really hear the, the similarities between the tunes. And so we figure what has happened. I mean, the tunes have come from overseas, from, you know, Ireland or Scotland or whatever. And they went to the mountain and they went to the prairies. And over years... Um, many many years, uh, they've they've changed a little bit, but you can you know the, I I would say the DNA is the same. Yeah. So it's exciting to hear the two different styles of fiddling, but you you can feel the thread, you can see the thread in them, you can hear it. That's pretty cool. I was wondering with the with the the you know asymmetrical rhythms and stuff that you're talking about. Do you think that that was specific to maybe the influence of the aboriginals and maybe i don't know did they have maybe songs or something that there was a certain you know number of um syllables with the phrasing they had or something or how did that how did that come into be i know that there are crooked tunes um some crooked tunes like in ireland and stuff but um i don't know how similar that would be you know, I think in the, in the Aboriginal, and this is only my opinion, uh, in the Aboriginal music, it was really all about the drummer beat. Okay. You know, they had this drum beat that went like that, and it was just on and on and on, and uh, um, uh, there was really no, it didn't have anything to do with one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. Right. It was just beat and people dance to that and then when um you know the metis people maybe they heard this tune coming from across the river and uh, and then in time you know they would hum you know they would try to hum that tune and and then when they got their fiddles um you know they're trying to remember what it sounded like and i think it just changed I, mm-hmm. uh 
I know I talked to you know when some of these old fiddle players were still alive. I would I would I thought they were playing wrong when I'd hear I'd hear them I'd I'd, I'd say you're playing that wrong you're playing it out of meter and they'd <laughs> they'd say what's meter what's that yeah <laughs> I go well in most music there we count one two three four and uh, and they went oh really they, they didn't even know what that meant I remember my dad taking me to a to a Métis dance when I was. 10 or 11 years old, and the hall was full, 500 people, and the band was up on stage playing, and the fiddle player, and this was the first time I heard this, and, and I thought, oh my God, they're playing that music all wrong, they're picking <laughs> up the timing, and uh, I was so unhappy and disappointed, but there was 500 people having fun dancing, and, and then I realized that, well, maybe it's not wrong, even at the age of 10, I went, well, maybe it's not wrong. Yeah. Uh, there's there's no police out there handing out tickets for playing broken meter music, and uh, so I've I've learned lots of that music from the Métis people, and I've written lots of tunes uh, that are crooked as well, and uh, people are accepting it up here now. I think there was a lot of people like me that thought it was wrong, and now there's a lot of people playing it and trying to play it and trying to keep alive this this old uh, music that we have. That's, that's awesome. And, um, you know, that reading your website and stuff, it seems like that's one of the main styles that that you're playing as well as I mean, obviously, a lot of different influences and listening to some of your recordings and stuff. I mean, I'm hearing almost like jazz influences. And I don't know, can you talk a little bit about kind of what your what your general influences are? And maybe okay. where they came from? Like, did you have certain inspirations along the way that, that brought in those different styles and genres into your playing? Well, you know, I started out as, uh, uh, my father was a fiddle player. My father was an old-time fiddle player, and mm -hmm. he played dances every weekend, and he was left-handed. Uh, he didn't know the names of the notes. He was just, he just played by ear. Um, and uh, as I do, I just play by ear as well. So we grew up on the music of... You know, Don Messer was a, a big name in Canadian fiddle history. He had a TV show on CBC. And so uh, everybody knew Don Messer. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I think he passed away in 1972, and his program was uh, taken off the air in 1969. But before TV, it was radio. And everybody, I mean, absolutely everybody listened to the Don Messer radio show. And then when it became a TV show, everybody listened to that. And so that was called the old-time style here in Canada. And it was waltzes and jigs and reels and foxtrots. And uh, it was kind of the dance music uh, um, that happened at dances. And that's what fiddle players played. So that's what I played. When I grew up, I learned that from my dad. Hmm. We had the records. Um, we had the eight-track tapes, and, and then uh, when I was 21 years old, I joined um, a country music band to play country music, and I knew nothing about that. Um, so I started learning from a guitar player that was in the band. He taught me how to play backup fiddle, how to listen to, you know, play in the holes, and he told me to listen to a fiddle player that played with Ray Price. Uh, his name was Tommy Jackson. Okay. And so th through country music, now I'm getting ex exposed to different fiddle players, like Johnny Gimble, uh, Vassar Clements, Buddy wow. Spike, 
Um, and all this new music that I had never heard before. And uh, when, when you're backing up a singer in country music and you're filling in the holes and you're playing all these little fills behind the singer, you're always inventing something new. And then they look at you to take a solo, and they, they really don't want you to play the melody because the singer's already sang the melody. Uh, so you're kind of expected to make something up that sounds tasteful and complements the song. And so you're forever composing something on the spot, and, I, and that's called improvising. Mm -hmm. And so through all of that, playing in a band every night, I started composing. Well, I was composing fiddle tunes before that just because, you know, they sounded like Don Messer or Graham Townsend, our Canadian greats mm -hmm. that I grew up with. But now you start getting other influences in your, in your music, and now your your tunes start to change a little bit. And I, I love the chords in Western swing music, and I love the chords in some of the country music, some mm -hmm. of the old country music, and I'm a huge fan of the steel guitar. So I started trying to do things on my fiddle that the steel guitar players were doing, playing two notes at a time and having sure. counterpoint harmonies and... Uh, so all the, all those influences started coming into my my writing, and um, it, it's kind of been accepted in Canada here, and even down in the United States, people are playing my tunes, and uh, um, I just love so many different styles of music. When I play now, I can play old time, I can play fishing <laughs> sounds, I can play yeah. the the Métis style. You know, I, I'm I'm not great at any one of them, but. I like to, I, I love to play swing music, you know, mm -hmm. uh, the, the Western swing. Johnny Gimble was uh, a fiddle god to every fiddle player that walked the earth that wanted to play Western swing. And I had a chance to spend some time with Buddy Spiker for, for a few years, and him and I recorded an album together, and Buddy Emmons on the steel guitar on that session, and um, many, many influences. Yeah, it's 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 just such a pleasure to listen to you. I've I've heard a few of your CDs and watched you know you on YouTube and stuff. I look forward to to meeting you in person someday and seeing you live. But um, it's just it just blows me away all the different influences and um, particularly I guess how much I feel like emotion and personality comes through your music. And and I don't know you know in my experience I don't know if that's particularly typical with any sort of player, but. Um, I don't know, a lot of fiddle players seems like they're just kind of, you know, they've got this really driving fiddle sound and somehow it seems like you're able to put in a lot of that. Like I said, a lot of that personality, is that something that just was sort of innate to you and your playing, or is that something you've really had to try to do or? Well, uh, you know, it's always been in my heart, I, uh, uh, to play music and, um, I remember when I started playing for dances when I was 15 years old, my dad told me, he said, you find the couple on the floor that dances the nicest. Mm. There's going to be one couple that just looks like they're floating. Mm -hmm. And he said, and you follow them all night and you play to them. And if they're enjoying it, everybody else will enjoy it. So I would I would look for a couple that was waltzing, and it just looked like uh, wheat flowing in the wind, you know. Mm, and yeah. I would follow them, and I would play to them, and I would I would follow their movements. And so really, it just became a part of um, that whole feeling that uh, I played for old time dances every Friday and Saturday night for many many years. Uh, so that was back in the. 
in the 70s and 80s, mm-hmm. uh, when there was dances, then people were coming out and, you know, then all of a sudden the DJs and kind of started taking over right. the dances. There's not not as much live music anymore. And that's what I find with lots of the people that are playing fiddle for the last 10, 15, maybe even 20 years. They've got all kinds of technique, mm-hmm. but they've never had a chance to play for a dance. Uh, and it's not their fault. It's just sure. that's what's happened. Wow. I love that. I love that idea of, you know, you following the dancer and, and it's almost like the dancer is that visual that is reflecting what's coming through you and the music, right? And if they're having a good time, then you're probably doing a good job. <laughs> they're flowing around. And um, yeah, I really like that. And and just um, uh, oh yeah, it, it, that it, it, representation. It, it, yeah. Playing from your heart. I mean, mm-hmm. it, just, you know, having that come from your heart. I know when I go do a show in Quebec, uh, the French have a saying, and I can't say it in French, and uh, and they're almost crying, and some of them are when they come up and tell you, but in English it translates. They say, anybody can play a note. Mm-hmm. Anybody can play a note or tender notes or 100 notes. A note is a note, but they go, it's how you play the note. Yeah. Ocean <laughs> that you emote from from uh, from that and how they feel it. And you can make people laugh. You can make people cry. You can make people smile. You can make people tap your foot. And um, and it's uh, I'm, I'm I'm I have a gift uh, and lots. Lots do, and I try to teach this at the camps. I mean, you just got to let yourself go and don't worry so much about the note and play from your heart, play from your heart and feel it. And, you know, I I, I tell people, now you've learned the notes. Now make those notes dance. (laughs) It's it's a rather hard thing to teach, isn't it? I mean, well, yeah, I, I think it's more people are so, well, which way is your bow going? And, uh, and I, well, don't worry. I don't even know which way my bow's going. Don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. Just play, play, play. And, and then I ask lots of these kids and I go, so who's in your iPod? Well, I got Jennifer Lopez. Uh, <laughs> I go, well, uh, do you have any uh, uh, Graham Townsend? Or have you got any Johnny Gimbal? Or who's your hero? Have you got any Mark O'Connor? No, no, I don't listen to fiddle music. Well, I go, wow. <laughs> Why are you playing it? <laughs> you got to be listening to it. You got to be listening to it lots. And uh, I mean, to get to be really, really good at it and, and to have a passion for it and have it come out of your heart, you need you need to... You need to understand it. As far as do people ever ask you when you say play from the heart, they're like, well, I don't like, I don't know what's in my heart. I'm not connected to my emotions. I don't know. Like, I wonder if with people being so attached to their devices these days, if they kind of know what's going on. I don't know. Do you find that? I do find that for sure. Uh, but I, but I do see, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing some rewards in the last, I'm going to say 10 years from um, fiddlers that I believe that I've inspired up here in Canada that are great, great fiddle players. Uh, And they were 15, 20 years ago as well. They could play anything. They had all kinds of technique. Mm -hmm. But I think I've inspired them to play more from their heart and uh, get this this feeling and uh, start listening to other styles of music. They were just kind of, they learned their contest fiddle tunes and they played them great. And then we would sit down to play something else and uh, you try to jam. And, well, they didn't even understand the chords. And I tell them, I try to explain how... 
uh, it's really good to understand the chords that we're playing. I know when when I'm playing any fiddle tune at all, I'm always thinking chords. If I'm in the, if I'm playing Turkey in the Stride G, now it goes to a D chord. I know that. I go with G to D and second part G G G G G G G G G C C C C C. I know it's going to a C. So now if I want to improvise or if I want to make something up, I know that I'm going to have to play something that belongs to a C chord. I know I got to play something that belongs to a D chord. So I'm trying to um get these people, get these fiddle players to, if they don't play another instrument, like a guitar or a mandolin or a piano or something, that they should be doing that so they can learn how to understand these notes that we play are all related to chords. And it opens up the doors then for them to start improvising and uh, playing with their melodies a little bit more and taking a few liberties. And um, uh, when I play a tune, it never gets played twice the same way. Mm. What are the what are the the most common alterations you make? Like is it ornaments or you just completely kind of change up the melody a little bit in different parts or it's uh I'll I, I try to um you know if it's going from a G chord to a C chord. I've learned a, a couple of ways uh different things you can do to make that transition to the G chord. The standard way would be to play like a, a G, and then if uh, if you were to, now it's going to the C chord, if you play an F note in mm-hmm. that G chord, well, they call that G7. Mm-hmm. Uh, da, da, you know, we're going to that chord. Uh, there's other little tricks um, by learning some diminished scales. Uh, I know people go, oh, that sounds scary. I don't even know what a diminished <laughs> is. Well, a diminished is only four notes, and there's only three diminished scales. And so I teach that to uh, to the students in these fiddle camps uh-huh. and show them how to use these little diminished scales. And maybe it's only by using one or two of the notes, but it's helping you get to the next chord. It's how to transition from this chord to that chord and then from that chord to that chord. Mm-hmm. Really, that's where I'm kind of changing things up here a little bit. So like the little kind of linking transitions, and it sounds like sometimes involving you know, what we might call accidentals, right, in classical music and stuff. And um, to kind I of, suppose to, I, that, that would be it, yeah. To transition us and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, as far as your composing goes, it sounds like way back when it came a lot from these improvisations, right? And then you kind of kept fleshing them out into into full-on pieces. Is that is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, playing in a band and improvising all the time and uh, hearing all these new chords. And many times when I was on the road with a country band, I would always take a guitar with me. And in my room during the day, I would have a, I would have a tape recorder and I would pick up my guitar and I would just start strumming some chords into the into the tape machine. And uh, you know, let's say it was a waltz, I would just. Uh, mindlessly, I didn't sit down and write out a chord chart. I just started strumming some chords, and uh, I would play an A part and then a B part, and then I'd press stop, and I would pick up my fiddle, ah. and nine times out of ten, I would I would play a melody from beginning to end, mm-hmm. and what was that? How did that happen? <laughs> and uh, I've composed many tunes like that that have just 
played it from beginning to end, just from just laying down some chord changes with a couple of different chord twists that were maybe unfamiliar to our style of music. Sure. Uh, but it still sounds old time because that's where I came from. Right. That's my I'm that's the root of the tree for me is the old time Canadian music and, and I kinda like to keep that uh, it's not even like I try to keep it. It's just a part of me, and that's what's part of the DNA of my tunes. Even if they're some of the tunes are a little more uptown, they all kind of have a root to the old time stuff that I grew up with. And yeah, I mean, I really, I particularly enjoy your waltzes. I think, and um, you know, you telling the story about watching the you know the best dancing couple and all of that. Like now, it kind of makes more sense to me. And just it, there's so much you know, I would say romantic sounds and, and then also some interesting little twists and stuff that are a little bit unusual and kind of that jazzy influence that I was hearing comes through. And, and, um, and then you're saying that, you know, you're always keeping the chords in mind and it makes sense to me that, you know, a lot of these pieces would come out of a chord, you know, the string of chord changes and, um, what a great way to improvise. It, when um do you ever feel like you have like writer's block or are you always pretty much just brimming with new ideas and ready to write something new because you have a i mean how many have you counted them how many how many um compositions do you have at this point i've kept uh near 600 wow that's awesome tunes that i've composed and and have recorded um uh, there's been many many tunes that i've uh, uh composed uh, that I didn't like, and so I, I just throw them away, and uh, ever they're gone. I haven't like I, I just do it all in my head and, and play the fiddle. I don't write them down. Mm-hmm. The tunes that I have kept, they've been uh, um, uh, what do they call that when you write them down? Transcribed. Transcribed. That's the word. I have a piano player or a, a fiddle player, a friend of mine up here that uh, they notate them for me, transcribe them, and. Uh, uh, yeah, that's, uh, and you have a lot of those on your site. We'll talk a little bit more about that later, but, um, yeah, it seems like pretty much any CD you've done, you've got the transcriptions, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, that's on the, on the CDs that are of my original compositions or mainly my original compositions. Mm-hmm. They're a book to go with it as well. On, on the Métis album that I did many, uh, 10 years ago, I had that transcribed. And so there's a book of those. As well, but I've well. I've done uh, CDs of country instrumentals like Hank Williams and mm-hmm. Ray Price. I don't notate that stuff. That's not my music. I'll kind of do the public domain ones. Sure, sure. Um, you talked a little bit. We we went through the Métis, and you talked a little bit about some of the other styles you put into the Olympic kind of suite of tunes. Um, anything you want to say about some of these different styles? I'm kind of curious maybe some of the differences as far as, you know, typical melodies, typical rhythms and stuff for like French Canadian and the Cape Breton and kind of all these different styles. And you do write in all these different styles too, or would you just say you're kind of, you're amalgamating and making it your own? Uh, What ends up happening most often is, you see, I'm going to Cape Breton here in a, I guess a couple of weeks I'm heading off to uh, Cape Breton to awesome. uh, play at Celtic Colors Festival. Oh, nice. Awesome. And the, this will be the first time me playing music. And, and so I'm not a Celtic fiddle player at all. I grew up on the prairies. Mm-hmm. And even though some of the tunes that we play, um, you know, Big John McNeil or uh, 
Mason's apron. Uh, you know, we play them here and they play them there, but they have a different uh, uh, twist to them. They have probably more the correct way, you know, because the music comes from Scotland, mm-hmm. um, and they play it true to the form uh, where they had the cuts to the bow. And I never grew up with that, so I don't hardly do that. I try to do it a little bit. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but uh, this year, uh, with me going to Cape Britain, I've composed a couple of tunes, um, uh, one for Natalie McMaster's mum, who who lives in Cape Breton still, nice. and uh, she loves the clog. So I've I've tried to compose a clog that sounds like it might be Cape Breton somewhat, and but it always ends up getting a Calvin twist in it. You know, there's something <laughs> happens in there, and uh, and when I send it to her and to have a listen to see if this is okay, she goes, yes, I just love it. It sounds Cape Breton. The fiddle players out here will play it, and it's got the Calvinism in it. And, uh, <laughs> there's something awesome. in there that she says, that's what you are, and that's what, that's what happens. And uh, and so then I wrote a reel uh, uh, to put on the end of her clog, and uh, it's the same thing. I tried to get the piano player to add that Cape Breton-style piano on it, and uh, then, in, you know, the second part of it, it kind of goes Calvin on us a little bit, but it still uh, hopefully has the Cape Britain root there somehow. And I always try to get the personality of a person or an area when I'm when I'm composing something. I'm I'm, I'm trying to, like I say, get the personality of a of an area, a festival, and now going to Cape Britain. Um, and I've written tunes for some Cape Britainers in the past, and I'm trying to write something that sounds like them or and it's kind of worked people go gee that really reminds me of Troy McGilvery or it reminds me of whatever I, I composed an air many many years ago after hearing Winnie Chafe who is a wonder who is a wonderful player from uh Glace Bay uh, in Cape Breton and she plays the airs and I came home and I had this I never composed an air before it's a slow piece mm-hmm. and I was I was playing this tune and I'm going eh, it sounds like Cape Breton to me and I had neighbors that were from Cape Breton and I went over to their house and played it for them and they started to cry and said oh it reminds me of the mist over Cape Smoky and I didn't even know what that was but anyways that's what I ended up titling the tune mist over Cape Smoky mm, nice I, I I googled that well Cape Smoky is a place on the Cabot Trail in uh in in Cape Breton and I guess it's always covered in mist and so the tune has become somewhat of a hit oh, that's um, awesome. and yeah it's, it's it seems like it comes from the area hmm. kind of lucky I'm able to do that so most of the time it sounds like you're influenced by certain area region a like a natural a natural place or or people lots of people you've met or are you ever needing to write a tune for someone you haven't met before yes uh, i've had people ask uh it's my wife's uh, 65th birthday and do you think you could write a tune for her and uh, so i've done that i and i so i ask uh, well what does she like well she likes the waltzes and uh she doesn't play and so i'll write something and do that for them and mm-hmm. do you ever uh, like ask for a like a photograph or do you do you need any sort of visuals or how does how does that inspiration come to you? Uh, it's really it really helps when you get to meet them. Yeah, uh, I bet. You know, when when 
when you get to meet them, you get it doesn't take long to pick up on somebody's personality, and um, uh, you know to write something cold for somebody that that you really don't even know. I'll I'll, I'll ask a few questions and and then I'll compose something and send it off, and and they're happy. Now I don't know if it has anything to do with their personality or not. And, mm-hmm. um, Lots of times when, you know, like I'm in the process of writing tunes right now for my uh, upcoming album for next year, and uh, all of a sudden I'm in a mental block. It's like, I think I'm done. Uh, You know, I kind of got two or three bars going, and I take it in a hundred different directions and don't like which way it's going. And Mm -hmm. so I move on to something else, and you can't get that going. And then you go, okay, well, I guess that's it. I think I can't write no more. But then all of a sudden, one day, uh, something happens, and you're able to take this tune in a direction and that tune in a direction. And uh, I've composed 26 tunes in a day. Wow. You know, finish 26 tunes, and uh, you go, I couldn't write one yesterday. That's amazing. So there's definitely some kind of, I don't know, ethereal muse out there or something that comes and visits sometimes, but not other times, it sounds like. (laughs) Well, it's inspiration. I mean, you get inspired. And if I go, you know, if I, like you played in the town of Vegreville. Vegreville is a Ukrainian, uh, it's very uh, Ukrainian-based. And uh, I know if I was to go to uh, a a Vegreville festival that was full of Ukrainian music, I'd be coming home and writing Ukrainian music. Totally, yeah. (laughs) I hear you. It's what's in your head right there that moment, and you come home, and if if you liked it and if you were inspired, and I have been. I've been to the Ukrainian festivals. I went and played at a cowboy festival a couple years ago. I've never been to a cowboy festival before, but I I come home and I started writing melodies that uh, sounded like cowboys should be singing these, you know? Right. right. And so I wrote cowboy sounding things and go to Quebec and I'll come home and write French tunes. And so a lot of it. From Cape Breton, I'll be writing all kinds of Cape Breton tunes. I bet. Yeah. So yeah, just kind of be absorbing what's around you. And, and um, I guess that's what art is, right? Being a channel for, for what's around, what's in society or what's in the environment and, and funneling that into art. So that completely makes sense. And it makes sense. You know, you've had a lot of different experiences. Um, you know, you, you would write a lot of different types of tunes. And I, I heard a couple different ones that I, I just thought maybe you could, you could jump back to for a minute. You talked about a clog and um, just for people that might be more classical or maybe they'd never heard of a clog before. What makes a clog a clog? Well, you know, uh, we grew up in, in in Western Canada on the prairies, and we would play shotises. A shotis goes. And there's a dance that goes to that. Okay. It's very, very similar to that. Okay. Maybe there's more notes in the clog. Hmm. Okay. Uh, and uh, so a clog is a dance. It's a, it's a dance. These. Uh, the step dancers would do Irish step dancers or Scottish step dancers. Uh, in the old days, there was hornpipes. Uh, and even uh, when I say the old days, I'm sure if you go to Scotland or you go to Cape Breton, the hornpipes are very similar to the clogs. I can't really tell the difference myself. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, today, we play Fisher's hornpipe, like a reel. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, but in the old days... A clog was kind of like a, 
a clog or a shotis. Those were hornpipes. So um, a clog is uh, about that kind of tempo. Where a reel is. So it's, uh, you know, I really and they're both don't... And they're both on a four count, it sounds like? Uh, pardon me? Um, the, the clog is on a four count as well as the reel is, I know, but... Yeah, it would be on a four count or a, a two count. count, depending on how you count. You go one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. Okay. And uh, like I say, they have a little dance to it, uh, you know, for the clog. And out here in the prairies, we grew up with a shot tease, which was more of a, a, a couple dance. There would be, uh, you know, partners dancing this shotis. And I'm I'm suspecting that a lot of people would know what a shotis is, maybe, uh, would they? Um, I think that's probably a word that's maybe a little bit more familiar. I mean, you know, down here, I would say that people are, they're much more um, maybe Irish focused and maybe some Scottish. So they might hear like a strospay or they might hear definitely reel and jig. That's pretty familiar to people. But some of those other more um, obscure ones, I mean, hornpipes. Yeah, I guess they're kind of around. I don't, I don't hear about them as much um, except for, yeah, Fisher's hornpipe, which is a reel basically like you said but it is. but i i believe it was originally composed as a as a as a hornpipe which is i think that's where it was originally done and through years uh people have sped it up and they kind of play it like a reel now and i've composed many many tunes and called them hornpipes and really they're just reels hmm. uh but i called it a hornpipe because it seemed to ring good with the title i was given it sure and, and then I've also composed, you know, like I've played in Shetlands many times, and I I, I composed a number of years ago um, a tune that I thought was a clog mm-hmm. uh, for a fiddle player in Shetland. So I sent it to some friends over there. Uh, I say, I emailed them an MP3, and they went, that's a hornpipe. You call that Henry Henderson's hornpipe. That's a hornpipe. <laughs> I went, okay, good. Well, that has a good ring to it. That worked. It really worked, yeah. Well, I'm wondering, did you always anticipate being a fiddler or did you have did you have any other career direction you were thinking about? I always wanted to be a fiddle player. As far back, I can actually remember probably being three or four years old and sitting beside my dad when he'd be playing the fiddle and I'd have two butter knives. I'd be sitting beside him pretending I was doing what he was doing. Nice. And, uh, and then I got my first real fiddle at the age of eight and... Um, I was learning tunes that day. I learned two or three tunes that very first day because I had tunes in my head. I hummed, my, my dad played the fiddle, and I could hum along to the tunes. So, you know, I was playing Jingle Bells and the Citadel Waltz on that first December 25th, 1968. And wow. So you got your violin for Christmas? Yeah, I got it for Christmas, yeah. Awesome. And it was quite easy for me to learn the tunes that my dad played because I knew those tunes in my head. I could hum yeah. them. Yeah, And uh, if you could hum them, and I had the passion I wanted to play, and I started my first dance band when I was 15 years old. Um, you know, in school, I took uh, carpentry because I thought I wanted to be a carpenter, mm-hmm. uh, but, but I was playing in a band at the age of 15, so I was in grade 10, 
And uh, every weekend I was playing for dances on Friday and Saturday night. So I was making a living at the age of 15. And so when I got to the end of grade 12, I mean, I just played music. I kept on playing music. You just kept going. And I just kept going. I never, you know, I, I, I did go out and get a job as a carpenter. And uh, my first job was putting uh, cedar shakes and uh, uh, shingling a house with cedar shakes. And I found out I was scared of heights. Oh, no. <laughs> so we lost in two days. Yeah, I bet. Well, and, you don't uh, want to fall off the roof and break your arms, too. No, exactly, exactly. Too dangerous. So really, I've been a fiddle player all my life. That's all I ever wanted to do. Uh, one time when I got tired of being on the road, I uh, I got a job working with a courier company in Edmonton. Okay. And I did that for a few years. And then when people heard that I was in town and I wasn't on the road anymore, I was uh, working every day, and then I was going to play in clubs every night. So I wasn't getting any sleep, and I was never getting to see my kids because I was working all the time. So one of them had to go, and it was the courier job. Yeah, yeah. How many kids do you have? I have three kids. I have three daughters. That uh, uh, In 1981, we had our first uh, baby girl, Tanya. And then in 1982, we had triplets. Oh, my goodness. And uh, one of the triplets passed away a week after birth. Mm. So um, uh, I have twins left, uh, Jessica mm. and Jacqueline. It was Jocelyn that passed away. Okay. And so now my, my, my girls are, uh, uh, let me see, what year is this, 2015? So, uh, yeah, Tanya's 34 and my twins are 33. And they're all making their own babies now. And I'm a proud grandpa and uh, just love that. That's awesome. How many grandkids do you have now? I have four, ranging from the age of 15 to one. The youngest one just had his first birthday last week. Oh, awesome. How nice. Do any of them play? All my daughters have learned how to play the fiddle. Yeah. Uh, But, you know, when they started getting to the age of getting interested in boys, the fiddle kind of took a sideline, and and that was fine. Mm -hmm. And uh, now with the grandchildren, uh, there's a seven-year-old that – He's showing some interest, and uh, I've given him a couple of fiddle lessons already. So he's playing Boil the Cabbage Down, and uh, <laughs> last week we started working on a second tune. He's seven years old yet, and, um, you know, uh, I don't think the passion is hit him quite yet. And he might be doing it more for Papa than him, uh, but I've never forced him. I never forced my kids to do it either. And But I think it's nice for them to grow up with music and even just like it if they don't play it, just to like music, I think it's good. Yeah, to have to have the inspiration, to have the ability to pick it up if they want to. And, and Now I'm uh, finding that their mothers, you know, my daughters, uh, they're now starting to get excited to to start playing the fiddle again. And little Warren there, his mom is helping him out, so she's picking up the fiddle again. She hasn't picked it up in 15 years. Uh, And my other daughter, Tanya, who was a really, really good fiddle player. When she quit playing fiddle, she could play anything. She was doing real good. And Mm -hmm. now she's kind of got the excitement and get her fiddle working again. So Nice. Well, yeah, I had to do the family thing for a while and come back around. What happens? Yeah, that totally makes sense. So you talked a little bit about your teaching camps. And I wanted to know if you could um, just just say a bit more about where they are and, you know, how people might find out more about them and see if they want to come and all that kind of stuff. 
I uh, I started my own fiddle camp in uh, 2007. It's called Camp Kelvin, mm-hmm. and I hold it up here near where I live. I live in St. Paul, Alberta, mm-hmm. and the fiddle camp is held in St. Edward, Alberta, mm-hmm. which is 10 kilometers or six miles uh, east of St. Paul. Uh, you know, I, I used to teach at many fiddle camps in Canada and in the United States, dating back to 1988. The fiddle camps started in 1988 in Canada at Emma Lake, and I was hired there uh, the very first year that that started. And uh, fiddle camps spawned all over the country from that. People would come to Emma Lake and say, we should have something like that in, in our community. And wow. So There's fiddle camps all over Canada now, and I used to teach at many, many of them, probably 10 a year. And uh, as I get a little older, I, uh, I'm just cutting back on them. And sure. I teach one in Ottawa. At, uh, it's called the Canadian Grand Masters Camp, uh, where the Canadian Grand Masters uh, competition is held. The week prior to that, uh, they have a fiddle camp, and this was its 20th uh, anniversary this year. And, and I've started my own fiddle camp, like I've mentioned here in St. Edward, called, called Camp Calvin, and it runs for two weeks. It happens the last two weeks of July, and I have great fiddle teachers from all across Canada each year uh, coming to help me out. Uh, and uh, uh, piano instructors and guitar instructors. Um, the website is campcalvin.ca, and it's the last two weeks of July, so it's two separate weeks. They're five-day camps. It's just wonderful. Same thing happens in Ottawa. It's a five-day camp. I teach at the Johnny Arcan Fiddle Fest. Uh, they have two days of workshops, and that happens in... Uh, around August 13th, around that date. And uh, I think that's johnnyarkandfiddlefest.com or .ca. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's it for the fiddle camps I, I teach at now. I used to teach at one in Montana, the Montana State Fiddle Camp. I was there since their inception, which was probably 20 years ago or something. I stopped teaching there, I think, three years ago. Uh, just staying closer to home. And yeah, that makes sense. To get more people to come to Camp Calvin. And Camp Calvin's turned into a real good camp. People come from all over. We've had people from the States. And, and are there, like, all ages, all levels? Um... We we don't accept uh, bare-bones beginners, somebody that arrives there and goes, hey, I want to play the fiddle. I've never done this before for the simple reason that – it, we're not big enough. We can only hold 60 uh, uh, students at our camp. 60 students, so okay. We say that you need to be able to, first off, you need to know this is the fiddle, that's the bow, and right. you kind of know how to hold it. And you can play three tunes or four tunes. You don't have to be prolific on it, but as long as you're able to play a few tunes on it, we have a teacher for you. Uh, and then we have right up to advanced and everything in between. We have students the age of I would say six years old, and we have students that are near 90 every year. That's so cool. And, and they, they all play together. and Yeah. Yeah, and it's a, it, it's, a, it's a wonderful atmosphere. You know, we have a cafeteria where we eat our meals in, and so it, it's great having the older people hang with the younger people and hearing, the, hearing their stories and uh, learning the tunes and learning the techniques together. And, you know, some of the teachers I have up here is Mark Sullivan, who's an a absolute great uh, fiddle player. 
Um, Patty Custer, like a great fiddle player. Gordon Stoby, a wonderful fiddle player. We call him Mr. Fiddle Camp in Canada because <laughs> nice. he really teaches at every fiddle camp all across the country. Um, he's a, just a great guy. And every night we have these instructors putting on concerts. So uh, it's very inspiring for the students to watch these uh, great fiddle players in concert. And uh, it, it's not all about learning how to play. It's learning how to entertain and learning how to talk and learning how to speak and um, uh, and coming and having fun. At the end of the week, people are leaving and going home and they're crying because they don't want to go home. And uh, that's what music does to people. I bet that sounds like a wonderful time. And it sounds like you present like the whole picture of, um, yeah, like you said, not just the tunes, but the the community building, it sounds like, and the, the entertainment and the, you know, poise type things that are important in, in performing. And I'm just wondering if there's, like a, a favorite thing above all else that you like to share with students? Uh, well, you know, I just kind of like to share my, my passion of the music and uh, um, trying to get people to play from their heart. I'm, I'm, I'm trying my best to get people to be creative. Uh, I know there's a lot of fiddle, fiddle players go through their life playing the exact same tune, the exact same way all the time, uh, but I'm trying to open up their mind to um, just to be creative and step out of the box a little bit, and uh, you're going to find lots of joy in changing things up a little bit and listening to other styles of music and learning that. I've recorded gospel albums because I love gospel music. Sure. And, and it sounds wonderful on the fiddle. I've recorded Beatles tunes. I've recorded Tom Jones tunes. And they sound great on the fiddle. They go, that sounds like it was made for the fiddle. Well, they're just beautiful melodies. Yeah, and you make it your own. And, and then it can, it just kind of flows from there, the creativity and, you know, whatever direction you take it in, right? I, I, I've heard it said that uh, the violin is the closest thing to the human voice, and uh, it really, the, the fiddle, it just sings. Uh, you just play, play from your heart, and, uh, and away you go. Away Make you people go. happy. That's awesome. It's like a broad overview. Um, you know, fiddling in Canada, it sounds like there's been some changes even as recently as the 80s when you're saying that, you know, all these fiddle camps started popping up and stuff. Are you pretty pleased with how fiddling in general is going? Or are there things that you'd want people to focus more on or less on? Or uh, I wish there was more opportunity for fiddle players to play for dances. I really wish that. Yeah. Uh, you know, I came from a time where there was dances, and it's really tough to teach that feeling thing that I talk about without playing for dances. I'm, I'm hoping people can grasp it without it because the dances aren't as plentiful as they once were. But if that could happen, um, and we try to create it at these fiddle camps too, we try to have dances and, and we teach them about square dancing and Gordon Stoby and, and my wife, they call square dances and, and you all jump up and you never come down and swing your partner all the way around. <laughs> got a really nice. good square dance caller. That's just as good as the best drummer in the world. Uh, nice. I always hear a square dance caller in my head when I'm playing. Hmm. Uh, if I'm playing a jig or a reel, I, I have that 
because there was so much, so many square dances in the old days, and playing with them good square dance callers, they just really set the tempo. They set the the feeling, and you tried to get that. Uh, you know, this note is louder than that note, and this one's quieter than that one, and you don't even know why, but that's just what happens. That's all part of the feeling, and. Um, just getting people to play from their heart. And if there was more dances to play for, I think that would be great. Uh, and maybe it's up to the younger generation to uh, get involved with these dances and get them going. Yeah, yeah, totally. Get off their butts and <laughs> get out on the dance floor. But yeah, they having got, the... <laughs> and they got uh, internet and they got satellite TV and they got on and on and on. There's so many things back in the old days. We had fiddle. Yeah, no, there's so many distractions and oh my goodness. But um, yeah, you know, I've had the experience sometimes, um, you know, mostly playing more original music or, or something where you didn't necessarily have like a, I would say a fiddle structure, but someone gets up and starts dancing, you know, just uh, this last weekend, there was a couple couples that were getting up and, and it just, it makes such a big difference. I find, I don't know what it is, but it's like suddenly, I guess for me, you know, you're playing, you're playing to someone rather than like the music just sort of being there, you know, there's like this whole big kind of back and forth um, purpose to it. And uh, I can just imagine, you know, that it would be a lot easier for people probably to play from their hearts if they could, if they could really see kind of where it all fits together, you know. Um, it's great that you're doing that at the camp and, and um, kind of showing everyone the whole picture and where this all came from. And, and um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully things change. I, I do hear I, I had a, a contra dance caller as a student quite a few years ago. And um, here on the West coast. And he was saying that in the, the new England area, apparently there's a lot of younger people that are going to contra dances now. So well, that's good. Maybe, maybe things are picking up. I don't know. <laughs> oh, well, that's good. Yeah. Well, I want to just wrap up here in a minute. I just want you to, um, maybe give us your site again and, um, uh, just a broad overview of what people can find on there when they look you up. Okay, my website is uh, www.calvinvolrath.com. And so Calvin is C-A-L-V-I-N, V as in Victor, O-L-L-R-A-T-H.com. And so on that website, you will find all kinds of stuff. I've, I've recorded uh, 62 albums now. And so all of those albums are up on my website that you can download. Awesome. Um, uh, many of them are still available on CD. So you can purchase the CD and the CD can be mailed to you. Uh, I also have all my music books on there and they can be mailed to you or they can be downloaded. Um, you can purchase individual sheet music for any one of my tunes that I've composed. Uh, I have instructional videos on there that you can download, and I think for under $10, uh, I've got, I don't know, maybe 20 or 30 different tunes, mm -hmm. Métis tunes. I think there's some Métis tunes and mm -hmm. some standard fiddle tunes that people have asked for over the years. Awesome. Uh, I'm not exactly sure. I haven't gone and looked in a while there what's all up there, but... Um, and then I have the the website for my fiddle camp called Camp Calvin, and that's uh, campcalvin.ca. And uh, I know if you were to check out that site and 
uh, and you wanted to come to a fiddle camp in, in northern Alberta, well, you would absolutely love it because we're up there with the coyotes and the cows, and so there's lots <laughs> of howling and mooing going on, and uh, we don't hear the news. We don't hear all the bad news that's going on in the world, and we have our own little world and campfires and wonderful time. You have a great holiday. Well, that definitely sounds like where everyone should be, you know, if only to, to escape the media, right? (laughs) Yeah. No, the wailing fiddles and the howling wolves and all that just sounds wonderful. And, um, so I will have both of those links in the show notes. So calvinvolrath.com and then campcalvin.ca. So CA is Canada, if anyone's, um, wondering. And, um, you were going to have us um, kind of go out here with uh, with one of your tunes, and I thought you could maybe just mention a little bit about what it is, what the inspiration for it was. Okay. Um, a couple of years ago, uh, I composed a tune for Natalie McMaster, and I called it Natalie McMaster's. Mm-hmm. And she came out to my CD release party and played it with me, and uh, her husband, Danell, really took a liking to the tune as well, and he, he's been playing it lots. And that year, I went and taught at their fiddle camp. They have a fiddle camp in, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Lakefield, Ontario. And so uh, one night when it was, uh, they were having a concert and they had me up to play and uh, Danelle wanted me to play this tune that I wrote for Natalie. And so I asked Danelle and uh, Natalie to come up and play it with me. And Danelle was emceeing the show. And uh, so he told everybody, we're going to get Calvin to play the second best tune he's ever composed. <laughs> and I thought to myself, what? <laughs> Change that. He said, and this is called Natalie McMaster's. He says the first, the, the best tune that he, well, he's never composed the best tune yet, he said. He, <laughs> when he writes a tune for me, that will be the best one. That's awesome. And I thought, well, isn't that, he's just challenged me. Yeah, I guess and, so. <laughs> so uh, anyway, this year I've composed a tune for him, and I have it on my new CD called uh, Canadian Fiddler Certified, and the tune is called One for Donnell. So uh, I don't know if it's my best tune or not, but it's a tune that I tried to get Donnell's personality into it. Donnell is a great fiddle player in many, many styles. And so uh, it's a three-part tune, and uh, uh, this has its double stops and the third part, and it's kind of swinging. Nice. Real of sorts, and uh, well, I hope you enjoy. That sounds awesome. And I wanted to mention too that I have been on your site, and I've I've downloaded a couple CDs and and some of the the sheet music that goes along with it. And um, for people thinking they might want to do that, it was a super easy process, and went through PayPal and got the sheet music and. Uh, I guess the first one was the um, Fiddle Nation that has that um, that suite that you wrote for the Olympics is on there, right? Yeah, that's and, right. Uh, so I'm familiar with that and got the sheet music and love it. So thank you for for going to that extent of of transcribing because um, yeah, it's it's so great to to uh, to have the sheet music as well where you can just sort of sort of see you know 
um, how you can play it, you know, without having to go through really slow and learn it by ear, which would be good too, I guess. But <laughs> Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure it'd be good too. But I know that the people are really into the sheet music. And yeah, so I've got it all set up where, you know, you uh, use PayPal or your credit card and uh, you immediately get the, the download link or however it works there. I don't have to send it to you. It all happens automatically. That's great for you. Yeah. And, and on my end, yeah, it was super straightforward. So no headaches at all. Well, I hope people will maybe come to calvinvolrav.com and I have a guest book, sign the guest book and awesome. say hello and let me know where you're from. And awesome. Goodbye. Well, yeah, I hope they do as well. And um, thank you so much for spending this time. And it was just great to hear about all these stories and the, you know, the Olympics and going full circle with that, you know, that past fiddler and stuff. It's just um, so, so interesting, the twists and turns that, that a life can take, right? Yes, that's yeah. right. Well, um, yeah, hope to be in touch with you again. And um, who knows, maybe I'll come up to Camp Calvin one of these summers. It sounds like a great oh. place to be. <laughs> oh, thank you. And I am uh, I look forward to meeting you one day. Uh, I've uh, met Dan Frechette. Yeah. And uh, uh, I've heard his music on the Internet, and he's wonderful as well. And I've even seen a clip of the two of you guys playing together. And it's oh, good. Great I look forward to meeting you. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Maybe next time we'll we'll come a little further north when we're in Alberta and and uh, and see where hey, you're well, at. If if I would have been able, I'm only about an hour and ten minutes from Vegreville, and, oh, and I knew you guys were there, and I wasn't able to make it that night. Uh, I wanted to be there. Yeah, yeah. Well, we might play there again. It was definitely a it was a nice. Um, community there it was interesting they wanted um you know we thought they'd be more ukrainian like you said before um but there was quite a few french people and they were kind of thinking with the with the freshette uh last name there dan freshette they, that, that we were going to play a lot of uh, you know french music or something so when they weren't hearing us singing in french they they came up and they said you, you guys have to play some french music so uh, we had a couple tunes that Dan's written that has some French language in it. So we pulled those out and then they were thrilled and everything went, went smoothly after that. But yeah, I think we'll go back there someday and, and, uh, we'll definitely keep in touch and let you know when that's going to be. Great. So again, thanks to Calvin Valrath for taking the time to share his stories and a bit about his life and background and inspirations with us today. Again, you can find him at calvinvolrath.com. That is C-A-L-V-I-N-V-O-L-L-R-A-T-H. Please head on over there and check out everything that Calvin has to offer, uh, as well as some video. And you can find that on his site and also on YouTube. And and I was happy to find a video of the medley that he mentioned they had written for the Olympics there. Um, and it also features, this particular video also features quite a few other um, quite well-known and uh, awesome fiddlers in Canada. And uh, it was just a real treat to watch. And Calvin is such a fun and dynamic performer. I think you'll really enjoy that and have a little bit of, uh, I guess, the visual that would go along with this audio podcast. Um, I think you'll really enjoy it. So definitely definitely head over to his site and to YouTube and, and see what he's uh, what he's up to. And as far as myself, again, I'm Laurel Thompson, and you can find me at laurelthompson.com. That's L-A-U-R-E-L-T-H-O-M-S-E-N. And as I mentioned, I'm also on Facebook at Laurel Thompson Music. And you can find also my duo with Dan Frechette, who Calvin mentioned, 
And uh, we are on Facebook at, uh, you can just type in uh, Dan and Laurel. It's uh, facebook.com slash Dan and Laurel. And you can also find us at our website, danandlaurel.ca. And and is all spelled out. And well, I guess CA is, is my little bit of Canadian that's gotten into my life, huh? <laughs> Anyhow, um, I hope you'll enjoy all of that stuff that I also have to offer and that you'll keep listening to the podcast and hopefully even subscribe. That's easy to do wherever you get this podcast from. Maybe it's iTunes, maybe it's some other podcast service. Um, you just have to subscribe to me, the Violin Geek Podcast, and then you'll get the podcast automatically to wherever you download the podcasts. And uh, in that way, you'll ensure that you never miss an episode and that we stay in touch. The podcast is completely a labor of love that I offer, um, you know, keeps me going with my inspiration for teaching and performing and uh, sharing what other people are doing. So I definitely hope that you will, um, you'll keep supporting it. And if you do have any ideas for future podcast episodes, maybe a topic that you want me to cover or someone you want me to interview, I'm totally open to your suggestions. And quite a few of these podcasts have come out of listeners' ideas. So you can send me an email for those uh, at laurel at laurelthompson.com. So laurel at laurelthompson.com. Again, L-A-U-R-E-L at L-A-U-R-E-L-T-H-O-M-S-E-N.com. And we're going to go out with the One for Danelle tune by Calvin. I hope you'll enjoy that. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, I guess until next time, as always, happy practicing.